0: Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Hi, and welcome back to the next episode of the Dental Implant Podcast. Just before we start, I just wanted to uh, chat with you and let you know that Firstly, for those who have joined the Academy of Implant Excellence, we are just learning so much. I am so, so, so excited. The Academy isn't for everybody. The academy is for people who are really, really, really hungry to learn. And what I like to do is I like to speak to you before you join the Academy, to make sure that I know 100% that I can give you what you're looking for. So if you'd like to know more about the Academy, please reach out to me. Uh, It's a fully comprehensive course and we're covering all aspects of implant dentistry from what is an implant all the way up to full arch and zygomatics. We are covering so much and I'm so, so, so excited about it. The feedback that I'm getting from the delegates is they are absolutely loving it as well. We have delegates who are complete novices and others who only deal with implant uh, dentistry and a whole array in between, including people who've done uh, other courses already. So I'm really excited that the passion that I'm giving back to the academy is, is, is it, it, it's, it's going a long way with the delegates. Some of you have also asked about hands-on options well I'm really really thrilled to tell you we do now actually have a hands-on option and it's not just for dentists in the UK because I know that some of you abroad have asked as well whether whether you can do hands-on with me we can absolutely we can so we've got three options available for you we have uh, the basic implantology course we'll go away for a week you'll place 20 implants You have the advanced implantology course, which is a mix of all on X uh, and uh, larger grafts and things like that. Then we have the sinus course where you go away and you will do five lateral sinus lifts. So again, if you'd like any more information, please let me know. And also now I'm really excited about this. In September the 15th and 16th, I'll be holding a two day summit on super osseointegration and full arch implant dentistry. Very, very limited numbers. And uh, it's already partly full. So again, if I can help you with any of these, or if you're interested, please reach out to me. And let's get in to the topic of discussion today. So what I thought I'd talk to you about today, and this comes back to uh, what a lot of people say to me, is they see me do um, uh, immediate implants in cases where they turn around and say, that site's not suitable for an immediate implant. And I turn around and say, well, why isn't it suitable for immediate implant? Oh, because of this, this, and this. The issue that I have with that is I can do, in inverted commas, impossible immediate implant cases because I've spent a lot of time studying the biology. So, once we understand the biology, we can start to understand what rules actually apply and which ones we can actually navigate around. Now, I'm not recommending everybody starts to do immediate implants all the time because some of my more extreme cases, they are, they are very, very difficult to execute. But if we understand the biology, then, uh, that, uh, that, the, then we, we, we can get some, some, some pretty incredible results. There's a couple of techniques that I wanted to speak to you about today as well. So. I am going to do a separate podcast on socket shield uh, partial extraction therapy, which, ironically, partial extraction therapy has a completely different meaning in the US than what it does in Europe. Um, so, w- it, in order to keep things uh, simple, when 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 I when I do that podcast, uh, then I will speak purely about socket shield. But the, the, sometimes, sometimes depending where you are, the terms are interchangeable. But one thing I wanted to discuss with you today is. Let's take these cases where people turn around and they say to you, you know what, you need to have at least one and a half to two millimeters of bone, buckle bone. And if you don't have that, then you're not suitable, uh, then the patient isn't suitable for immediate placement because that thin amount of bone is going to disappear, which it will. Uh, They say that thin amount of bone is going to disappear. And um, uh, therefore we have to do a delayed approach now. Forgive me if this is old hat to some of you, but some of you, who uh, of some of the listeners uh, you haven't been placing implants as long, and there is a concept called the bundle bone theory. Which, if you don't know about it, is something that you need to uh, something that you certainly need to look at. Bundle bone theory has been quite uh, around for quite some time now, and this explains why we get that uh, that that thin bone, why why we get that resorption so quickly. And the answer is really simple: is the very thin amount of bone. Which is ver- immediately adjacent to the tooth by thin amount. I mean, three quarters of a millimeter, there or thereabouts. Um, that is actually what's referred to as a bundle bone. Embryologically, it's not actually related to the alveolar bone at all. It's related to the Hartwig's uh, root sheath. And what this means is, it's related to the tooth, not related to the not related to the bone. So when you remove when you remove a tooth. That thin bundle bone, because it's relying on the tooth and developmentally it it, it was part of Heartwig's root sheath, once the tooth's gone, that bundle bone is 100% going to disappear every single time. Now, this is why socket shields work so well, because you are preserving that part of the tooth, which is therefore preserving the bundle bone. That's why you get absolutely in credible results with, uh, with 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 socket shield but let's say that the patient isn't suitable for socket shield we need to do something else the question is what do you do okay so historically what a lot of people turn around and say is that what you need to do is we need to uh, remove the tooth, wait several weeks for the soft tissue to form and for that uh, uh, bundle bone to disappear. And then we can go back in and we can place an implant and do simultaneous grafting. Here's a concept for you. If you know that that bundle is going to disappear, why don't just get rid of it to start with? Why not raise a flap or even do it flapless? So you can regenerate everything internally. Is If you know that the bone is very, very thin and it's going to disappear, why not just remove it and treat it like a three-four wall defect, okay? Um, it's And and I've done this plenty of times where I could feel that the bone's thin. patient wasn't suitable for um, for socket shield. I've removed the tooth. I've raised a small flap, and uh, and then I've just placed the implant, grafted, uh, me- membrane, no membrane, depending what type of technique that you're using, what biomaterials that you're using and uh, place the implant, and we're off to go. And you know what? The body doesn't know any different. So the body only knows different when you uh, when you take the tooth out. And then it's like, okay, the bundle bone's here. I've got to get rid of the bundle bone. It's going to take me weeks. But if you help the body, and it's like, okay, you know what? The tooth's gone. You know what? you know what, buddy? How about I get rid of this bundle bone as well for you? The body just goes, okay, cool. What's left? What do I need to regenerate? And this is one of the reasons why I don't believe that um, when you have thin bone that you necessarily need to delay your approach, you really don't. You really don't. Um, what I would say as a word of caution is this type of approach, it does require a higher level of skill and confidence. So you need to respect the fact where you are in your learning cycle. So if you feel that that this is something that you can, that you can do, understand what we're doing is because we're getting rid of the tooth, we know that bundle bone is going to disappear. Instead of waiting for it to disappear, just get rid of it. It's really, really, really quite simple to do. Okay, another um, uh, uh, technique that I wanted to talk to you about is something called uh, immediate dental alveolar restoration, which is a concept by Derosa and his team over in Brazil. Um, it is actually a very, very clever technique. What do we do in this technique? We go to the tuberosity. We there's a you can get a curved chisel, raise a small flap. And you can take a little bit of bone from the tuberosity you shape that to the side of the size of the of of the alveolar defect and you wedge it in place flapless so you're maintaining the blood supply and uh, then what we do is you place your implant behind it okay so derossa has a lot of data going back probably about 15 years now in this technique showing very very good very predictable results what i would state is because i have done a lot of full arch and because i've placed a lot of pterygoid implants In the UK, and there's a reason for this, in the UK, the quality of the bone and the tuberosity is really not fantastic. It's generally very, very poor. Now, there are ways around this. If you harvest more bone, you can compress it uh, to, 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 to get the cells a bit closer together. But one of the reasons why the... Um, uh, why the quality of the bone in the tuberosity is poorer in the UK is basically the weaker sunshine that we have over here in, in comparison to Brazil. And what that means is vitamin D levels are generally very, very low, generally very, very low. If you've got a, a, a skin tone uh, similar to myself or, um, or, 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 or even darker, we're guaranteed to have vitamin D deficiency. Even our Caucasian patients will have vitamin D deficiencies, particularly in winter. And this is a really, really, really big problem. So I was taking 12,000 IU of Vitamin D3 K2 every single day for um, uh, for, for about two, three years because I had a blood test done and found out my Vitamin D levels were low. So I, 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 I to start with, I started taking uh, 4,000 IU, which I thought was huge. I had a blood test done again four months later, and there was virtually no change at all. So I thought, right, let me increase it. So I increased the concentration to about 12,000 IU every single day. Then I didn't have another blood test done for about another three years after that. And what I found is that when I when I eventually had a blood test done, I was still barely on the lower side of normal. And what I ended up having to do is I gave myself, um, I, 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 I arranged for, um, a, a, a an IM injection of vitamin D three, three hundred thousand IU, and that is what has corrected my levels. It took an absolutely colossal dose. So we need to be mindful of this because we've discussed about vitamin D in the past and how it impacts, um, uh, uh and, and and how it impacts the uh metabolism of bone and this is something that I've discussed at length with my delegates it's not just vitamin d it's cholesterol it's oxidative stress it's systemic inflammation it's what you know the combination of medications that that, that these patients were. they all kind of like start to add together it's 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 very much a balancing game so the idr technique is uh is is absolutely beautiful but i do apply it with caution in the uk just because of the quality of the bone that we that we actually get uh, at the back there the other technique that I like to use as well is, is I'll just harvest autogenous bone at the same time as implant placement. And uh, I will, I will use the Kuri plate technique. Now, uh, you don't, We don't always have to go to the external oblique, uh, oblique ridge, although that is kind of like standardized practice. What I mean by that is if I'm working at the front of the mouth in, in the maxilla, I, I absolutely love going to the palate to harvest bone because you get such good quality bone there. So in my mind is if I was to go to the palate, it's less traumatic because we're already kind of working in that area. As opposed to going to a separate donor site in the mandible. Now, the proviso that I would say there there is all of this is done off diagnostics of CBCT. So, if I do need to go to the mandible to harvest bone, I will go to the mandible to harvest bone. So, I just want you to think a little bit, kind of like these are my thought process that the thought processes which I'm going through. Um, when I see cases where there is no buckle plate or very thin buckle plates, I'm looking at it and going to myself, what are the biological ways that I can regenerate this predictably? Okay? And then the question is, do I have the clinical skills to be able to execute this? And if I need to, then uh, that, then I can do that. Sometimes the patients don't want to. And just because I can doesn't mean I do. So, again, let, let's go back to what we were talking about a few moments ago, patients who are metabolically compromised or patients who have had uh, – who are under – uh, high psychological stress, we know that they won't heal the same. So because they don't heal the same, quite often I will slow down their treatment. I will increase their their, their, their overall treatment time. I will phase their treatment. Uh, sometimes patients are just like, you know, I, won't have, I want to have it done, I can't pay for it all up, up front in one go. Or, or, you know, can we stage it? And We can stage it for monetary purposes as well. So it comes down to balancing what's the right thing for the patient and what we're clinically capable of doing. And it's always patient-orientated. It's, it's, it, it's, it, it's always patient-centered. Okay. So another thing that we can do as well is when we are um, undertaking uh, uh, these immediate type procedures, let's say you've got a case where there is no buckle plate and the patient doesn't want to have autogenous bone harvest. What I quite like to do in those cases is I will do a tunnel approach technique. So I'll use kind of like a a Vista type incision and I will slide the membrane in laterally. I can graft behind it and I can still put the implant in at, at, at that same visit as well. So this is what I'm trying to express to you is that there are a lot of clever ways that we can do these, in inverted, pos- uh, in inverted commas, impossible cases, but they are actually possible once you understand what's happening with the biology. You know, is if you try doing these cases where you've got that really thin bone and um, and you don't remove that bundle bone, then the whole case is going to collapse, okay? Whereas if you know what's going to happen, you're like, okay, you know what, let's do that. And what we'll do is I'll get rid of the bundle bone, I'll regenerate it. Then, it's, then it ends up being quite a predictable procedure to do. The other thing that I would mention as well, and this is a grossly, grossly uh, underlooked aspect of immediate implantology. And this is uh, soft tissue grafting. So yes, absolutely, we can use things like uh, mucoderm and other dermal matrix-based products. They do thicken up the soft tissue. Now, what I would do is I would qualify that statement by turning around and saying that when you use autogenous tissue, Wherever you harvest that autogenous tissue from, you take the genetic coding from that place and you transfer it to your donor site. This is really, really important in high end aesthetic cases because it can be the difference between make and break. A lot of people focus solely on regenerating the bone and they skip the regenerating of the soft tissue. It is in a lot of cases the soft tissue, that's the problem. If you do not have enough good quality and quantity of soft tissue, then uh, your case is going to be an aesthetic failure and you run the risk of, of developing problems long-term. Now, how important is soft tissue? Well, there's something when we do um, uh, full arch implants, something called a palatalized approach. And what the palatalized approach effectively is, is this is in a thin ridge case where you protect the bone buckley. And you deliberately place the implant more palatal, and you don't mind having threads exposed on the palatal aspect, and you don't graft it. You just put the soft tissue back over the top. Do you know what happens? Absolutely nothing. Do you know why? Because of the quality of the soft tissue covering the implant, it's that simple. So, there are two sites where you can harvest uh, from in, uh, uh, in, in the palate. And it depends what type of graft that we're doing. So you can you can harvest the connected tissue from the palate. We can go to the uh, we can go to the tuberosity, um, and if you need something that aesthetically is a good color, and you're doing things like vestibular plasties we can do a strip graft from the buckle, kind of like around the uh, around the molar positions as well. So the reason why I'm saying this is I've seen a lot of cases where. The bone's been regenerated beautifully and the implant's in a good position. The restorative is really, really nice, but we've had papilla loss. And the patients come to me and they turn around and say, "Uh, can you redo my implant? I very simply turn around and say to them, you know what? We do not need to redo your implant. The implant's done, been done very, very nicely. What we need to do is we need to increase the thickness of the soft tissue. When we do that, then uh, we can not only uh, are we improving the, the, the prognosis and health of the long term for these patients, but aesthetically that that that's, that is something that's really, really important, that having this really thick soft tissue is really critically important. What I would say is... In immediate implant cases, there is data to suggest that when you use autogenous soft tissue to harvest and you augment the soft tissue, whether you think it needs augmenting or not, that it doesn't improve the outcome of the uh, uh, of the implant in terms of prognosis long term. But what we do is we generally get better aesthetic outcomes. We generally get better um, uh, 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 aesthetic uh Gum tissue stability. And this is something that I do in a lot of immediate implant uh, cases. And I will just turn around and say to the patient that, look, without doing this, you're going to have a compromised result. And it doesn't take long to harvest the soft tissue. So if I'm taking it from the palate, it's probably about a, a, a three, about two, three minute job. If I'm taking it from the tuberosity, it's even quicker. And then you just have to de it and get it into the, in, 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 into the anterior position. So. These are my thoughts on immediate implants and why, you know, when people turn around and say to me, you have to have a minimum of, 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 of two millimeters of bone, um, around a, a, a root. If you're going to put in an immediate implant, the entire buckle plate has to be, has to be intact. It really doesn't. What we need to do is we need to understand the biology. And once we understand the biology, we know what's true, what's not true. And then we can investigate some of these more nuanced, some of these lesser well-known treatment modalities and techniques. And we can apply them and think to ourselves, biologically, that makes sense. Biologically, that's going to work. Well, actually, you know what? That doesn't make any sense why it would work. You know, that, that, this person is just making it up. And so you can, you, you when we understand the biology, when we understand what's going on, and this is why I very much drum home and why, why I teach not not so much how we do things to start with, but why we do things to start with. You know, the, the, the biology is really important. This is quite often, you know, I've had people approach me and ask me my opinion and they turn around and say, oh, I've got this case, would you mind looking at it? Sure. Well, I'm thinking about doing this or this. What do you think? I said, well, they'll both work for slightly different reasons. You, you tell me what those reasons are because I like to get people thinking. So, this is why I think why uh, a lot of uh, cases where people get told, uh, you know, you, there has to be certain parameters uh, where, whereby you have to do immediate implants. It's not the case. It's really not the case because we've got great techniques, great materials um, uh, out there. As long as we understand what the biology is, is we can apply appro- the appropriate uh, biological and, and, and surgical principles and get fantastic outcomes for the patients. Thank you very much everybody for tuning in. I deliberately kept this a little bit shorter today. Uh, I will see you again soon and I will, right, I will promise right now, right here, I'll get the next one up in about a week. Okay, take care everybody, speak to you again.